Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one of the founding attorneys of The Legal Geeks. With me today are Thomas Harper and Nari Ely to talk about that wonderful scene in Endgame where Thor goes for the head and they head Thanos. Because a lot of people watch that and went like, hey, is that cool? I mean, Banner was surprised. Can, can we figure out, was that lawful in any jurisdiction or any theories and uh so yeah, let's let's dive in uh nari what's your thoughts on king thor beheading thanos well so i think as uh we've discussed this topic on a couple of occasions josh and as you've always pointed out um it's unclear what law is actually applying if it's the law of asgard this is potentially a very lawful uh, uh, killing, whether or not it's war, whether or not it's a, um, a peace, just because, you know, that might be all the process that is due in Asgard. <laughs> uh, I mean, strictly speaking, Thanos does confess and is unrepentant right before uh, Thor swings uh, Stormbreaker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, don't taunt the guy with the big axe. That's, uh, especially after killing his best friend and brother in front of him, that... That could end badly. You know, uh, if I, I, Josh, I'll have to just interject here and say, practically speaking, uh, this is not the lawyer in me talking, but if he had just aimed for the head a movie earlier, <laughs> it would have made things nice and clean, including from an international law standpoint. We wouldn't even have a podcast to do right now. Uh, I don't know what the state of the MCU would be if, if <laughs> the, the movie had just abruptly ended right there with... Thanos' head rolling around, but it's, whew, that, that was a close one. <laughs> the other issue here is that if I think, um, since Thor should have aimed for the head the first time, um, uh, this is probably why he decides to abdicate the throne and go off and join the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's probably better suited there. There's a, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, it's, let's break down some of the facts that, so we understand the context, because context matters, and also the rules matter on what what you know century we're looking at and, and provisions with international law. So it's been a span of about two weeks since the decimation, which is what the snap is known as. And incorrectly, it, of course. Yeah. And pre-snap, Asgard's destroyed. We have refugees. About half the refugees are killed by Thanos. In that battle, we have Thanos literally just stab Heimdall to death with a spear. And then he crushes the life out of Loki, holding him up by the neck to kill him. And literally crushing the life out of him. That's bad. Then we have you know, uh, Thanos' war on life as a, you know, a really twisted environmentalist, and he <laughs> knocks out half of all life in the universe. So it's, it's across the board. If we compare this to, say, you know, the Nuremberg war crimes trial, you know, there are significant differences because we don't have a League of Nations. You know, there are no allies that have worked together. We have the Avengers and... Uh, everyone else who got rolled by Thanos, you know, whether it's Xandar, uh, you know, the other planets that had been hit in the, you know, years prior to that. So that's a difference that we don't have victors putting, you know, capturing leaders and putting on a war crimes trial. We have a defeated universe 
with the Avengers going to confront uh, Thanos and Thor is the sovereign of his, well, of what's left of his nation. Like, uh, you know, like Thomas, like, what's your reaction to that as, as a JAG officer on, you know, the differences between the Nuremberg trials and, and what Thor does at, you know, in, in beheading Thanos? He gives us an example of Asgardian justice at its very finest. There's no need for any, uh, any proper due process you get all you need in one small scene I, you know thor's seen all he all he needs to see at that point um so you, in a lot of ways it's a lot of a lot cleaner than what you see at nuremberg nuremberg was messy i mean it, nuremberg was messy I, I i would posit that all of the post-war or the vast majority of the the post-world war ii justice was messy that gets into a lot of questions of uh you know, Victor's justice and, and uh, the United States and its allies putting their brand of justice, and I'll put that in quotations, on uh, the losers. And, and uh, you know, there were some significant questions of due process and whatnot. And I think you have some of those questions here, although it's, it's flip. We were joking before we started recording that, like, what's the inverse of Victor's justice? Like, desperate losers murder <laughs> you know i don't know but because the uh, thor and the rest of them are in a very very different position than the allies were post-world war ii so i it's it's a little bit of an unusual situation nari i wanted to turn it to you because you had made this this really good point about a really important framing device to this entire discussion which is what what's the state of things right now are we like is there a conflict going on or i you know we, we yeah um and so there's there's a couple of things in what you were just talking about that are really relevant in terms of context um and the first is a big distinguishing feature between what's going on at the beginning of endgame and the nuremberg trials is is of course you know thanos uh, a captive um and so this is a really big difference for example um, I think uh, uh, between, for example, let's say the killing of Osama bin Laden and the Nuremberg trials is you don't have a situation where it's the the, the war is over and um, these people have either surrendered or been captured. Um, you have a situation where you have someone who is still actively doing things. So that's the first one. We can come back to that later. But to, so to focus on your first question, though, um, it really matters as to what we're looking at, whether or not it's it's lawful, whether or not it's right, um, is wh whether or not there is a state of war or active hostilities, because that changes what you can do. If this if there is no hostilities, if there is no war, then this is just an and again we're assuming this is an Asgardian jurisdiction. <laughs> um, then it would just be an extrajudicial killing, and there's pretty much no context that I can think of um, uh, in which that would clearly be right. I mean, we can probably as lawyers find ways to tease things out of that too. But generally speaking, extrajudicial killings in a time of peace, not lawful. Um, so it's, it's actually a little difficult when you, when you look at that early scene of Endgame to figure out if there actually is a war. So, I mean, it, uh, I actually read some quotes from the, the screenwriters talking about Thanos, um, who he is in fact retired. And if you, you know, the opening scenes involve him picking fruit and going and making his dinner. And I, he doesn't have full use of his body anymore. He's a little bit crippled. Um, 
And he really does seem retired. The screenwriter said he's literally just waiting to die. Um, so it's unclear that there that he even is in any way hostile to, uh, towards anyone. It appears his army has gone. I assume they've just disbanded because um, it doesn't seem they don't seem to feature at all in the present timeline. Although they do obviously the 2014 timeline. Um, so it's. You know, there's a serious argument, I think, that there is not, in fact, a state of war. I'm going to complicate what I just said, though, <laughs> by explaining that, you know, it, it, whether or not there's a state of war matters a lot, um, depending on what both, how, it, how it looks to both sides. Each side has a say in whether or not there's a state of war. And if you have a situation where you have a victory, um, a, a, a conquering victory party, um, you know, Thanos and his army might think there's no longer a state of war because they've achieved their objectives. But the defeated, who at that moment in time think they're going to undo what he's done, um, they still have objectives that they haven't succeeded <laughs> in obtaining, which is, of course, bringing back the, the half of the, uh, of the universe. Um, and so to them, there may, in fact, still be active conflict and hostilities. And you could argue that Thanos, you know, let his defenses down, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't uh, an active conflict. Yeah, and you certainly don't see some of the hallmarks that you see that, that end some of the more formal conflicts we've had. There's no unconditional surrender by, the, by Earth or Asgard where they're meeting at, you know, some little building and, and Thanos is on one side accepting Stormbreaker as they sign over uh, to, to end the conflict. And I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the Avengers in particular are a great example that, that the fight is still on as far as some of Earth is concerned or some of the galaxy is concerned. They're still out there hunting. And I, you know, I would posit as well that somebody like Captain Marvel coming into the scene, you know, would say, look, I was, I was tied up before, but let's fight. You know, yeah. this, is, this isn't over yet. Well, and, you know, Captain Marvel's position was, I'm going to go kill Thanos. It wasn't, I'm going to go question him. She was, <laughs> I'm going to go, kill the son of a bitch because that's my mood right now. And I'm fine with that. The, because you can't just look at one side and go like, yeah, we're, we're done. I, I decimated half of all life in the universe. It's Miller time. I'll be on my farm. Because, <laughs> because they have the, you know, the, the surviving half of the universe that's asking, what the hell just happened? You know, like for them, it's, it's a, like a surprise attack. It's like having a massive planetary 9-11 or Pearl Harbor that it's just like literally people died, airplanes fell out of the sky, people are fighting mad, and they want his head on a pike. So he might think he's done, but he just declared war on the remaining half of the universe. So they could be in the, let's go find him and kill him right the hell now so just because he thinks he's done doesn't mean that it's the end of war and i don't even think that thanos thinks he thinks his he thinks and he knows his task is done what he perceives to be his destiny but i don't think he's under any illusion that the fight is over i mean he his reaction to the avengers showing up is one of just exhausted resignation i think i would call it not not surprised like well i thought the the fight was over you know it's um I, I think on some level he expected something like this to happen he just didn't care that it did because he came in and it, it'd be like if japan had uh executed pearl harbor 
and then not done anything else and, and just sat back that, you know, they, they couldn't reasonably claim that they're surprised that we would lash back out after an act of war like that um, just because they weren't prosecuting war beyond that attack. So um, I think, I think that that portion I'm I'm satisfied in saying that on some level, even though we don't have a formally declared war, we've got some type of, I guess, intergalactic international <laughs> conflict that's that's still occurring when they show up at his farmhouse. Because yeah, society on a universal level has been upended. It's not like it was a clean, you know, break of fifty percent getting wiped out. New York is reduced to a, a skeleton population. San Francisco seemed more functional, but even then there's trash in the streets, abandoned cars, abandoned houses. All of that doesn't show like a functioning, uh, you know, two cities in the United States on a functioning level. Tokyo has more lights on, so maybe they got hit less. I mean, it's, it's completely plausible that the snap, you know, took out like, again, say 90% of New York, but Atlanta was fine. Like it could be, it could be weird, you know, math like that. And we don't see what happens. Like did, did Canada get vacated? It's like, Hey, there are no more Canadians left, but Brazil's a okay. Like it could be weird, you know, weird outcomes. As my friends and I always say when we're playing board games and someone shuffles and deals cards and it's a very strange first hand or something, if it's actually random, that should sometimes happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a very weird situation uh, because we don't know how much government's left. And it's like they might have had the Secretary of Agricultural, you know, assume the presidency if, if it was that bad or... <laughs> Or the entire executive branch could have been fine, but the Supreme Court's gone. Like, there's stuff like that of like, oh, crap. You know, it's like, how many senators do we have left? And, and you start to rebuild. Uh, so, again, weird, weird twists. And before I forget to mention it, um, as, as just kind of a real-world example, which we, we discussed briefly um, before we started the podcast, um, of, of why this matters in, uh, I believe it was Obama's second term, he said to a group of reporters that he, uh, that the hostilities in the Middle East were effectively over. Um, and a bunch of lawyers perked up who were representing clients who were detained in Guantanamo and immediately filed uh, demanding that their clients be released because they... The, you know, what the United States government can do and how much process is owed to people um, who they detain um, matters a lot whether or not there are active hostilities. Uh, they can do a lot more with a lot less process when there's a time of war or hostilities and, and when there's a lot less when there, when there isn't. Um, and uh, so that's why this analysis of whether or not there's an active conflict going on at the beginning of the movie uh, makes a huge difference as to whether or not Thor was, you know, an outlaw or just a, a, a soldier doing his job. <laughs> or, or king. And I think that's, that's another thing to keep in mind. Well, let's talk about times when the United States has targeted people and said, yeah, we're going to kill you. And I, I have two, and I would like you know, to get your takes on them. First is Admiral Yamamoto from the Imperial Japanese Navy. Uh, tragic figure because he was the commander in chief of their like naval forces. Uh, he was a fan of America, I think it's safe to say. He had been to the United States. Uh, he had been around, I think he was on uh, Theodore Roosevelt's uh, Great White Fleet tour as an observer. 
He studied Billy Mitchell's plans for how to you know, use aircraft to attack ships, took good notes, and then put that through use in planning Pearl Harbor. And, uh, you know, and afterwards, you know, like first he was not on board. And like, there's a great book called The Pacific Crucible about he didn't want to go to war. He thought it was a bad idea. He thought he could raise hell for a year. Uh, and then they would get hit hard. And after Pearl Harbor, he said, we've awakened the sleeping giant and have yet to feel his wrath. We targeted him with two P-38s because we broke their code and an Operation Vengeance, again, name of the operation, had his transport plane shot down and like two 50 caliber slugs went through him. He did. Uh, oh, uh, Osama bin Laden, you know, great way to unite the United States was to attack us on September 11th. And I, I, I remember John McCain's Senate floor speech with, we will follow him to the gates of hell. So again, succeeded in uniting the United States going like, we are super angry. And President Obama got him uh, after our intelligence agencies and, and military worked very hard to find him. There, I mean, I kind of wanted a trial for bin Laden, but I don't lose sleep over it. I'm, I'm fine with him dead. Well, this is actually, what you just said is actually a, to a topic of very interesting discussion in and of itself, which is, you know, setting aside the, the actual operation, which we're going to talk about because that's extremely uh -huh. relevant. Uh -huh. Just in a hypothetical land, you know, would it have been better to have a trial? So this is kind of, I think we touched on this with the Nuremberg trials. There's a certain amount to which having a trial for someone allows them a platform, allows them to grandstand. Um, and uh, it, it's a little bit different in Nuremberg where it's a defeated entity. There aren't that many uh, Nazis left. There certainly don't have many teeth left um, compared to a situation where there are probably many um, uh, followers of Bin Laden uh, still out there and still capable of doing things. Um, so it's a little bit of a different analysis, I think. And as I think you guys mentioned, the Nuremberg trials themselves are pretty messy anyway. It's, it's a debatable question as to whether or not a trial of Osama Bin Laden would have been beneficial to people. <laughs> Well, that, it, it, if, if, just to interject, we did try Sir Cowie, and he was, you know, tried in Virginia. They had, and I've seen presentations by the court reporters that were there for the trial, and, like, they had three of them. They all had to learn foreign languages, and, like, their, uh, their uh, transcriptions were being live streamed out using LiveNote, and like the testimony and everything that they had and, and all the evidence was beyond powerful from, you know, Mayor Giuliani gave very effective testimony about what he went through playing voicemail messages of a flight attendant, you know, who knew what was going to happen to her, uh, leaving a message to her husband who worked nights and was asleep. I'm mean, like, was, extremely gut-wrenching. So, you know, there had been judicial proceedings finding members of Al-Qaeda guilty for their crimes against the United States. So it's not like there wasn't some, you know, symbol of due process, uh, but it was also an active military uh, campaign against Al-Qaeda and in the war on terror. And, and why don't we pivot to Thomas, since we're now clearly in your wheelhouse on, on the issue of targeted killings for two targets. 
Josh, you can edit this part out if you want, but you, this is a knowing risk. You brought me on this podcast knowing that you and I normally talk Star Wars, and I'm going to use this to shoehorn in a Star Wars quote that Thanos was too dangerous to be kept alive. <laughs> now, in all reality, in all seriousness, though, that this uh, is a really good um, connection back to Nari's point about uh, the, the state of the galaxy, so to speak, whether an active conflict and an international conflict was at play here because one of the legal justifications in Yamamoto's killing or one of the, the rationale that was used to justify that killing is that, got it, he is a leader of an, an uh, enemy armed forces. That's, that's a given. Uh, however, he is an enemy combatant and we are at war. And I, you know, I don't care what rank you wear, if you are wearing a uniform and there's an active state of war, you're a, a lawful target. Uh, it's just, that's why, one of the reasons why that status matters so much. Um, because like Nari said, you, the moment it switches off, it just becomes kind of a murder <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, in, in, in com and, and it's an important distinction as well, because, um, you know, unlike some other combatants like we see on the battlefield, maybe in Syria or Iraq or even modern Afghanistan, who, where we have to make these decisions, they're not wearing uniforms, and there's a whole legal analysis that, that happens oftentimes in, a, in an instant about whether these people are enemy combatants. Yamamoto is a, a uniformed soldier. There's no question uh, about him or the folks that are surrounding him and flying him. And along with that, if, if there's an enemy that, that you're faced with, they don't have to be engaged in a hostile act, they don't have to be about to, to shoot at you or, or um, display what would be called as hostile intent to, to kind of tease out their character. They're a lawful target. I, you know, you could be on the stall like um, the attorney Gennaro in Jurassic Park. I mean, you could just be completely out of, out of combat, short of surrendering or being oars to combat, uh, which I probably butchered the Latin there. Uh, you're, you're a lawful target. And so from that standpoint, if by whatever law we're applying, Asgard or Earth or, or whoever else, there's a state of conflict here, it makes Thanos, even a decrepit farmer version of Thanos, a lawful target. And, and uh, you know, Thor is justified in killing him, uh, you know, short of him standing up and raising his hands and waving a white flag, which would be an awesome um, scene, like a tiny little white yeah. flag in his big hand. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, Thor did disarm him, and that scene was yeah. pretty, pretty awesome. So, you know, there's a question he about he can like, fight one-handed. Come like, on, it's like this was the guy who successfully beat up the Hulk and <laughs> nearly killed Iron Man, and we we've well, seen and beating up the Hulk was without the aid of the Infinity Stones, isn't that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, tis but a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, he. <laughs> I, I still think super dangerous and, you know, even weakened, you know, he could kill you know, probably half of those who were there and uh, uh, it would be a struggle. But yeah, those, those who are on the mere mortal side, probably at risk. <laughs> so, uh, and if I could, 
if I could offer one more analogy just to keep mixing our references. Uh, <laughs> once there is a state of war, you get to give the Vulcan hello. When you're in a state of peace, it's the Federation never shoots first. <laughs> <laughs> We've now well gone done. for the, the geek triumphant here. Of, uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We could throw in a Doctor Who reference. I think we would cap it all. So if you're if you're playing Legal Geeks Bingo, please uh, <laughs> submit your punch cards. <coughs> yeah. Oh, you know us well. So yeah, it's you know what's your take on Bin Laden because that that's also different. You know we have you know our our you know resolution to use force from two thousand one. You know that authorized going after Al Qaeda and Bin Laden. And like we were, like we wanted him. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, Bin Laden's a, <laughs> that's a whole onion of an issue to, because there are a lot of, I, I think that the targeting of Bin Laden in, in a lot of ways mirrors this issue more than uh, maybe Yamamoto does. Uh, simply because there's no, you know, in even though there's been this massive attack and whatnot, clear acts of war, we never see any entity on earth or Asgard for that matter, actually formally declare war. So you could argue that there's not a, a formal state of war here. Um, but I think, you know, in the context of those hostilities, like there were, you know, still actively in Afghanistan and Iraq when, uh, well, maybe not Iraq when bin Laden was killed, but certainly in Afghanistan, you had this, legal conundrum how to justify this force and ultimately the AUMF the the authorization for use of military force that was passed way back when in 2001 right after uh, September 11 gets stretched some 10 years later to justify a killing on Pakistani soil and so you've got you've got that legal justification issue you've got the uh, the forum for lack of a better term uh, of the killing, you know, do we have authorization to make a strike against bin Laden on another sovereign soil? And I, I, my marvel is rusty on this point. I can't remember the name of the planet that Thanos settled on, but I, you know, presumably, even if he's the the sole inhabitant, it's a sovereign on, on some level. And uh, you know, the, so you quickly see how how the issues start to spiral out. Of, you know down several different rabbit holes here and, and and that's not even getting to the the point of like well do we have an obligation to um you know capture him or do we go are we ju legally justified in going in guns blazing and uh you know avengers kind of blurs the line there it's it's not immediately clear that they're gonna like absolutely kill him when they hit the ground there i think that's that's the pretty well understated intent they're not going over there to negotiate a surrender um but that's the the legal issues that would be faced i think if you had a really lame scene where a group of attorneys are like at the beginning of Endgame, like debating this like avenger strike against thanos i i actually think there was authorization from thor himself to going back to the beginning of infinity war after again tons of asgardians are dead and Thanos stabs Hemdall, Thor's reaction was, you will die for that. I think that decree covers it. It's yeah. different than how we roll. You know, like the president can't say like, take him that one. Like we, we don't <laughs> do that. 
<laughs> that swarthy bastard there, get him. Like we don't we don't do that. Uh but I think from an Asgardian perspective, Thanos was on notice <laughs> of it's like you don't get yeah. to butcher my people and think I'm gonna let it slide. Uh, and I also want to chime in with one thing, which is um, uh, the, the part where it's not clear that the Avengers uh, dispatch with the intent that we're definitely going to execute Thanos is actually not that distant from what probably the operation was with Osama bin Laden. It is doubtful that when the operation orders were drafted, it said, go execute Osama bin Laden. It's more probable that it said something along the lines of interdict him. Um, but the understanding was probably that he is not going to survive the interdict. <laughs> when they um, and and those attorneys had to and and the the operational planners had to discuss all of those eventualities. What are we going to do with him? Where can we take him? Mm-hmm. At that point in history, uh, President Obama had issued a directive that no more prisoners would or detainees were to be brought to Guantanamo Bay. So that's that door is arguably closed. Um, if you kill him, what do you do with the body? I mean, there's an obligation under international law to. Di- if you're able to dispose of a body in accordance with uh, that individual's religious preferences, which in the case of uh, Islam gives you a, a pretty tight window uh, in, in which to take care of that. And so, uh, you know, and the, you know, I, all of this is framed against the idea that in an operation like that with somebody like, you know, bin Laden, you, you take your bad guy, bin Laden, uh, Thanos, is the world collectively going to be that upset if it's successful and you kill him? Is anybody really going to be knocking on the door demanding a justification legally? And so uh-huh. it's, you know, that doesn't excuse, you know, preparation and, and I think thought on the front end about legal justification and whatnot, but it's, it's something that certainly comes into play. Um, I just want to, I do want to chime in, though, with, I think, you know, the importance of process. um, It's it's extremely, to me at least, it's extremely important. It's precisely most important when you're dealing with the people uh, that you despise the most. Um, It's easy to give process to people that you like. It's much harder to give process to someone who, you know, killed half the the universe. Yeah. Um, But, you know, was there any obligation to capture Thanos um, or any obligation to capture for, in our analogy of Osama bin Laden. Um, and I think, it, Josh, if you'd like to talk about this for a second, because um, I know you've written a little bit about it, um, but there is sort of a forward-looking test, right, as to whether or not you're justified in what is effectively a summary execution. Wow, it's like you were reading my mind. So, so some of the law review articles that I dug into on this uh, outlined a, a test for, you know, under a just war doctrine of targeted killings. And that analysis is the individual must be killed to save the lives of others or to prevent great harm to others. And that capturing uh, him or her will not have the same positive effect. And uh, there's also a sliding scale that, you know, some authors get into uh, with, with proportionality, and that's not in the discovery context, but, you know, are you, is a targeted killing based upon behavior alone, or is it based upon behavior with status within an organization or nation state? And 
Thanos, it's status and behavior. So that's kind of does tip towards the targeted killing and be like targeting the leader of a, of like a country or organization, bin Laden or targeting capitals in, in a war. Um, like that's fair game, but the, the scale that they described here, uh, would killing Thanos save the lives of others? I do think yes. Uh, in the short term, because he could still have his children running around following him if he decided to give orders again. Uh, but, you know, damage done. So, again, it's, it's that's cloudy. Uh, would killing him prevent great harm to others? Yeah, but it's still a little after the fact. On the flip side, it's evidence of this guy is supremely dangerous because he did kill half of all life. And that capturing... Uh, Thanos would not have the same positive effect. Well, again, if you could get the Infinity Gauntlet off of him with the stones, that does have the positive effect. So the the issues here are murky, uh, I, I think is the best. And, you know, like, uh, Nari, what are your thoughts first? And, and then Thomas, you know, want to get your take on on this sliding scale of analysis. Well, so my understanding is that you're absolutely right about this. And it's important to remember that it's the forward looking analysis when it comes to saving lives. It's not about what someone has already done. So, you know, if it were, then Thanos killed countless trillions of entities, <laughs> then surely that counts, but it's, that's, that's all happened. Um, and we can take the screenwriters at their word that he really <laughs> is retired then maybe he didn't. Um, I would complicate that just by what happens later in the movie with 2014 Thanos deciding that, ah, I see that no one is forgetting the past, therefore I must kill everything. <laughs> it's possible that, uh, you know, present timeline Thanos, uh, if he were spared, would have eventually come to the same conclusion and once again gone on the warpath. Um, so that it turns, I, I think it's actually a tricky question, even only looking towards the forward-looking threat. Um, the, the heart, the, the harder one to get around if we're not under Asgardian law, but we're trying to do this under our law, is the part where would capturing him have the same effect? Um, and, you know, Thanos is powerful, but I guess you could try to make the argument that no prison humans could design could hold him forever. Maybe something along those lines. What, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think that it's complicated for them in that, they have this conversation with well, a, they realize that the infinity gauntlets all jacked up and the stones are gone and destroyed. And then Thanos describes to them what he's done. He, what did he snap a second time and uh, destroyed the, the stone. So objectively the thing that one of the things that makes him, or maybe the thing that makes him most dangerous to the galaxy is right in front of their eyes destroyed. Also, they've killed the children of Thanos. Like, could he summon an army theoretically? I, you know, I guess maybe. Um, but in that moment, that scene struck me. And I think it was written this way is like, Thor is just absolutely pissed off. He's pissed off and emotional about what's happened to Asgard, all the loss that he's shouldering uh, throughout this entire movie. He's, uh, you know, burdened by the fact that, he feels that he missed that chance to, to avert this entire catastrophe. Uh, and he's just pissed off that like Thanos is just sitting there like a kind of calmly shrugging all this stuff off like a jackass, like, I, you know, speaking of it as if he, uh, you know, 
took care of a chore out on his farm. And so I think, you know, here you, Thor's own actions, I think the context around it make it problematic for that analysis. Like, is he still a dangerous person even without a hand and um, kind of decrepit from the injuries he sustained from snapping again? Yeah, like, absolutely. Is, does it rise to the level, Josh, of the factors that you talked about? I don't know. And I don't, it, we didn't get a chance to see this, but, you know, one of the things that the planners of the bin Laden raid had to grapple with legally is, you know, what do you do when you come up on him? Uh, you know, you're required to accept a surrender if it's, if it's feasible, but what qualifies as a surrender, right? And so um, Bissonette or Bissonette, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, one of the SEALs that wrote a book about the raid, he actually participated in it. But he said that the attorneys that were kind of in on this planning briefed him, uh, briefed their team that if he's naked and his hands are up, then you got to you got to accept that surrender. You can't shoot him. Right. So you're talking like the, the most like legally black and white definition is what's given to them. But then there's all these gray areas. And so, I, you know, this situation with Thanos presents sort of the exact same situation that that they faced. I think there are conflicting accounts. We'll never know the absolute ground truth. Um, because the different team members perceived this moment in, in different ways in 2011 when the raid happened under a high level of stress. Um, but by all accounts, you know, Bin Laden did not surrender, but Bin Laden also did not you know, overtly attack the team, which would have given them uh, legal justification to defend themselves and kill him. Here, Thanos doesn't attack but he also doesn't really surrender at all either. I mean, I, you know, you, we, we talked before about whether he's out of the fight with missing an arm, but um, it's a, it's a more complicated situation than I, than I think it gets credit for in the movie uh, just because they have to cover a lot of ground, but you can go down some deep rabbit holes. And I think the the point you make about Thor is why it's very important uh, that, you know, we don't have people with any personal stake in, legal disputes, including criminal ones, adjudicating them. Uh, yeah. Very important to separate judge, jury, executioner, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you make a great point about the rules really mattering. I, you're, we're, we're all seeing this play out, I, I guess, live in a way. If, if anybody that's listening to this is, has read anything about the current court-martial that's going on of uh, Chief Edward Gallagher, so he's a, a Navy SEAL, that's being court-martialed for war crimes right now in San Diego for allegedly killing uh, an ISIS fighter, a young, you know, 15-year-old boy that was an ISIS fighter. And I have heard about that. It's a very dramatic trial. It is, yeah, I, you could do a podcast all about that trial. That trial has, has had all sorts of crazy happen in it. But the point of all of it, and, and the point of some of this discussion about whether to pardon somebody like Gallagher or whether to put him on trial at all, um, you get this, in my opinion, uh, this uninformed viewpoint of, well, this guy's a war hero. It's war. You know, why are we all wound up about him doing his job? And what gets lost in that sort of analysis, that basic take, in my point of view, is that the rules matter because, in large part, because we're a professional force. The Avengers, I think, would apply to that. These these are professionals. They're they're there to do a job, right, and save the world. Uh, what they're not there to do is do it by any means necessary. And it matters for your own principles, but it also matters because the enemy watches what you do. 
And if you are no better than your enemy in terms of, uh, you know, breaking the rules and whatnot, when will you ever expect your enemy to, to uh, you know, adhere to those laws? And, and it's so easy to say, well, well, Thanos doesn't care about the rules or ISIS doesn't care about the rules or the Taliban don't care about the rules of war. Why should we give a lick of care? And that's, that's really beside the point. That's, that's just a, a red herring of an argument to make because that's, that's not what the, the entire body of international law and the law of armed conflict is based upon. It's based upon your obligation to do the right thing uh, in any circumstance, whether or not people are watching. And um, you know, I think from an Asgardian standpoint, Thor might be justified, but from an Earth standpoint, I, you know, I think he, um, he maybe jumped the gun a little bit on chopping his head off. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I want to highlight something that you were just talking about, because it's something that on every panel I've ever been on with Josh that's talked about the law of war, I've usually had to kind of describe, because the, the law of war is based on very different principles than we base our, our laws on domestically, um, uh, or within any sovereign nation. And it's, it's principally based on proportionality. It's because when you are in war, so there's, there's there's a whole body of law about laws before you can declare war, but once you are in a state of war, it's presumed that you have two uh, warring states, two warring parties, and it's presumed that both of them think they're right. <laughs> so you can't really go into it with the mindset of, you know, that, that there must be one type of justice and it's just a matter of adjudicating it. Uh, you assume that both sides think that they're justified in their, in their fight and doing what they're doing. So instead you base it off of you know, if my guys are captured, what do I not want the other side to do? <laughs> um, and so that's why even if it's an enemy that you think is horrible and is hated, you know, you're fighting the Nazis, you're fighting ISIS, um, it's, that's, that's why you still follow those rules. It's not because the other side is right and you're wrong, it's because that's, uh, that's the law of war of proportionality. Yeah. Sorry, reciprocity is the word I was looking for, not proportionality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot there because the, the entire point of, oh, taking prisoners and not doing summary executions is we're supposed to be the good guys. And the good guys don't do that. We don't butcher people. Thanos, I do think, raises interesting questions because of well, there's a significant body count traceable directly to him. And even if you don't count snap victims, you know, going back, you know, Xandar, uh, Gamora's planet, Nebula's planet. There's a long list of planets that he butchered. How do you deal with that? And a trial is pref you know, preferable. It does raise the grandstanding issue and like, you know, what issue of due process. On the flip side, the Nazis at Nuremberg got more due process than those they marched into showers. So screw them. Uh, uh, and the other half it is, uh, I don't think we did enough trials for the Japanese war crimes. That too is an issue. Uh, how do you deal with Thanos? And you know, like we've, we've, you know, on, on panels we've talked about uh, Justice Robert Jackson and his opening statement at Nuremberg on why it was important uh, and not do the Senator Robert Taft mindset of, take him behind the barn and kill him. That's what Thor did. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really, uh, I mean, it, it is a little different because like we don't have a surrender. Like we don't have, you know, he's not under arrest and he's kind of gloating. So 
especially when you're gloating to people that, hey, I know I just killed people that you loved, and hey, you, Thor, remember the time I killed your brother in front of you? Good times, right? Like, that sort of thing is going to end badly <laughs> because you just don't do that. It's like, hey, remember you promised to kill me? Uh, what do you think was going to happen in that situation? Two points. One, and both related to the snap. One, with the reduction in size of uh, the U.S. Congress, it's probably a lot easier for the, the remaining folks to, to come to a consensus <laughs> and declare war, which makes his killing a lot more straightforward. Two, the reduction of the overall population of lawyers also makes it a little less likely that Thor or any of the other Avengers are going to face any real significant blowback, um, you know, on the back end with, with all of this. So I, you know, yeah, things work out. Things work out. It's like, again, uh, Hussein got a trial and then got hung, hung dead. Uh, I don't know if Gaddafi got one, but people did play soccer with his head. So, uh, yeah, it's just, and no one seems sad. (laughs) So it's like, oh, Gaddafi's gone? Bummer. Uh, Oh, Hitler committed suicide? Too bad. You know, again, it's this, you know, we have to stand on principle. and, And this is where targeted killings get messy. It's like, no one's bummed out that we targeted Yamamoto. It was war. He was in a uniform. You know, like, it would have been great if we could have put the emperor on trial, but we didn't. You know, no one's bummed out that we didn't prosecute bin Laden. Yeah, I mean, think about the last eight years. You haven't seen, I, I think in some circles, you've seen inquiry about, and, and, uh, you could probably dig enough to find some folks that are legally critical of, of the decision, but not, there's not been any sort of real significant blowback to the bin Laden operation for like pretty common sense reasons. And you compare that to some of the other killings that we've done drone strikes on us citizens that are fighting abroad or, um, you know, you take your pick at the Guantanamo detainees are, are a great example where there's this, you know, a very different reaction among legal scholars and, and other folks that are crying out over uh, potential legal injustices on some level or another. I think Thanos falls in the, the Bin Laden camp. I, nobody, nobody on earth, snap or no snap, is going to be real upset that Thor lopped his head off. In fact, I think, like I said earlier, I think people will be a little more upset that Thor didn't swing the axe at the neck just a few days earlier. Yeah, and well, I, I want to talk about Although that also would have been substantially less legally gray. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Like I said, well, this is all Thor's fault. That, this is the whole like, <laughs> takeaway here. Yeah, well, it's, it's Star-Lord's fault, but that's a... <laughs> oh, a God. Uh, yeah, okay. More on him losing his temper. But uh, there's, there's... Oh, I just realized that's a common theme in Marvel, I guess, is men losing their temper. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there are some hot-headed guys with mommy issues who lose their temper. So, uh, uh, but, okay, focus. <laughs> if the world's been devastated and, and defeated, and so, like, people are putting, literally putting the pieces back together, like, 
and, and thinking about how many ER doctors are left? Like how many dentists are left? Are the people running nuclear reactors still around? Like those are major questions on whether or not day-to-day -day life is gonna function or if we're gonna have bigger problems with society collapsing. So major issues there. And, you know, Avengers returning, going like, hey, we got him. He's dead now. You know, Cooper going, okay, fine. Uh, doesn't make it right, but the threshold, because of what had happened, you know, they probably be willing to tolerate it more because of, like, how many judges are left? Do we have, do we have the ability to actually put on a trial that won't look like some weird show trial because of, oh, we got one guy who does misdemeanors still around and like all the other judges are gone. Like that it's, could be it's hard to imagine the world putting together the resources for a special tribunal here. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's like, oh, you got him. Cool. Um, and also to think about if they had captured him, a significant part of the universe also might want his head and being able to go like, oh, you guys got him on earth. Yeah. We're nuking you. It's like, nuke from orbit. That way we know we got them. Sorry you're in the way. I mean, that's, like, that could be the reaction. So from, uh, again, this is real politique at its, you know, most extreme, but killing Thanos could have kept the universe in line from having a war over what to do with them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you... It, it raises an interesting point because there have been times repeatedly in history where as much as there's a blowback over, you know, a killing and then what, what's the legal justification for that, that killing, there's an equal if not greater outrage when a lot of times, maybe not from legal scholars, but from folks that are saying like, why did you keep this person alive? You know, why you had the ability to kill him, Thor, you've got that giant axe. Why not lop his head off? Why are we going through this whole rigmarole? Why are we spending money to, to you know, specially house uh, Thanos and give him these custom-made prison slippers or sandals and, uh, you know, a, a prison jumper that probably requires all the orange, like, fabric on earth because <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> why not just – why didn't we just kill him when we had the chance? Either time. And, I you know, I think it's a fair point because I – there would be a number of folks, not the least of which on Asgard. I think all of Asgard would be up in arms. Whoever's left there would be absolutely up in arms that Earth flexed its muscles and decided that we're going to use Earth principles to decide what justice should look like for the rest of the galaxy when everybody's been aggrieved. So I, the, the podcast, we could have a whole podcast about how a, a Thanos trial would actually look. Cause I think it's, it'd be a, a pretty epic fight on the, the level of civil war about, you know, planets fighting over who gets him and, and what justice looks like in that front. So what would need to, part of the issue is earth in the Marvel universe doesn't have diplomatic relations with, yeah. you know, the there's no extradition treaties. <laughs> yeah, there's no extradition treaties. And, and to compare it to Nuremberg, here we have the Allies work together and they defeated Germany. And everyone can, you know, there was a lot of work from the Moscow Proclamation to the London Charter, you know, and, and you know, into the, the Potsdam Conference on how to deal with this. And like, and that took work 
and diplomacy to come up with a framework for how to prosecute the Nazis. And that happened from a position of strength from victory. That doesn't exist here. You have everyone fractured because of what happened. Now, granted, it's hard to stand on principle when like everything's going wrong, but the idea of, hey, we got them, we're going to invite you all to help put on a trial. Uh, how many plants are going to go, that's nice, now we're sending our army to go get him from you so we can yeah. hang him. Yeah. There's, again, this goes against her sense of justice and because we prefer trials, but Thor's summary of execution might have made things a lot easier and uh, being able to move forward. Which maybe makes him deserving of a pardon, but um, it doesn't necessarily change the legal analysis. No, it's still, and it, <laughs> again, good luck prosecuting a sovereign. It's like, no, it's, exactly. <laughs> it's like, he killed my people. I sought vengeance. And we are the Avengers. It's like, ah, yeah. Uh, it, gets, it gets problematic. Um, as for the issue of what to do with him, I don't know if this would work on him, but we do have... Uh, it was it was mentioned in a episode of Agents of Shield on what they did with the abomination from the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk movie. Uh, they put him in suspended animation, which raises all kinds of issues of cruel and unusual punishment by just putting somebody on ice. And in Agents of Shield, they they were taking people who were inhumans and putting them in the freezer in suspended animation. Could something like that have worked on Thanos to keep him not being a danger? But then again, it's like, so we've made him a display item? Um, I mean, it's funny in the comics in the, the Thanos War, uh, which if you haven't read that, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Jim Sterling at his finest, you know, the, the end battle, I know he, Thanos has turned to stone by Adam Warlock's spirit. And we don't have Adam Warlock yet uh, in the story. And uh, so that, that's also different. Uh, but like the conflict resolution is rough. Uh, and, and this leaves very awkward feelings of, I think Thor was right, but he was wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I like that because, uh, or I like that conclusion just because I think you can often have in legal analysis the right result, but not actually the right law. <laughs> but I think that's where you, you, you get into degrees. I mean, if there's one thing that's true of international law and the law of armed conflict, there's precious little that's absolutely black and white. And even in situations where you know, there, there could be a black and white result. You get into these shades of gray. Um, and, you know, we've talked about that here, but um, that's why you talk about a single scene in a three plus hour movie. And it's, uh, you know, it's a fascinating bit of analysis and, you know, something that on the surface, if you just looked at it, say like, yeah, d definitely kill Thanos. Like we're not going to not kill Thanos if you've got Stormbreaker and, and he's incapacitated like that. But in reality, you, you break it down a little bit and there's a lot to it. Yeah, it's a wonderful thought exercise. And so, yes, well, I want to thank you too for being able to discuss this with your legal knowledge and expertise. And uh, again, 
I, I plan to go see Endgame for the fourth time so I can see whatever the six minutes of footage is because uh, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> so I, uh, I absolutely look forward to going again. And, 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 you know, helping it beat Avatar should be reason enough. Six it minutes is. now. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely is. Let's Sorry, James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I'll, it's... James Cameron's a brilliant filmmaker, but also annoys me. It's really weird. I can't explain <laughs> the, the paradox there of loved aliens, loved Terminator. Oh, but all that they did in Future Man with like mocking him at the James Cameron compound, I find that hysterical. So yeah, let's go knock out Avatar uh, to the theater. Oh. <laughs> so with that, uh, thank you both. Tons of fun. More to come. And uh, stay geeky. Stay geeky, America. <laughs>